want to just get our heads thinking today and, and kind of prepare this message. And as, and as I read, there's, there's almost two sermons that fit together here. Don't worry, I, it's two points. It's not going to be long, not two full sermons. But, but there seems to be kind of a disconnect between the two. So, so if you'll track with me, I'm going to tie this all together. But at first, it may seem like we're kind of going two different places here. Um, how many of you, just raise your hand real quick, how many of you are parents? It, it doesn't matter if your kids are there or not. If, if, you, have, if you have been a parent, you're still a parent. Um, now, I want to ask the kids here something. Kids, teenagers, students, who's in charge in your house? Yeah, give the Sunday school answer. Who's in charge in your house? The parents, right? Now, now parents... Do they act like they know that all the time? I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about? I, we have, I have amazing kiddos. Yeah, someone was honest, finally. I have great kids. Um, I have two great kiddos. But there are times you, you say something as a parent, and I mean, it, just, it did not matter that you said it. I mean, it was a waste of words, because they don't even hear. And I know that's part of growing up. That's why God blesses us with kids. And that's why parents, that's part of how we're discipled, is, is learning to be patient and learning to see that this is actually how we are with God. So often we don't even listen to a word he says. But today we're going to talk about authority and Christ's authority and, and the authority that is understood by this centurion. And I want us to just pause for a moment and think through this and Look at Jesus' authority and realize the power, the majesty, as this song we just sang. That was great, by the way, worship team. We are singing and standing before the great I Am Himself. Jesus is not just a man, a good teacher, a great guru. He is God incarnate. God made flesh. And when he speaks, that is the final word on anything. So pray with me. We're going to get into this um, passage and look at two kind of pieces to it. The two different miracles here out of John chapter 7. So if you have a Bible, grab that. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one out of the seat pockets in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible home. Um, consider it our gift to you. But we're going to get into this in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 1, um, and we'll, we'll read this again after we pray. Let's go before the Lord one more time. Father, you are good and gracious and kind, and yet you are also the most holy, great I am, all-powerful, infinite. Please help us to, to grasp just a little bit of that today through your word. Speak to us and change us, and Lord, I pray that you would confront our hearts and at the same time, encourage our hearts. Make us just a little bit more like you, Jesus. And I pray for anyone here who's, who's struggling with your claims, God. That you would help them see who you are. You would reveal yourself to them by your Holy Spirit. And through this scripture passage, they might come to trust you. And be gloriously changed, God. In Jesus' name. So the first half, this first miracle, um, if you're following along your bulletin, there's some blanks that you can kind of fill in. 
and track with us here. The, the first point we're going to talk about is have faith in Jesus because He has ultimate authority. Have faith in Jesus. Have faith in Christ because He has ultimate authority. And I, I want to read with you again Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings, this is what we've been talking about the last few weeks, a sermon that Jesus preached on the plane. And he ends this sermon, interestingly enough, by pointing out to everybody, if you don't listen to what I say, you're like a fool who builds a house with no foundation. But if you listen to what I say, you're a wise man and your, your house is strong. In other words, your life will be stable. And so after he finished saying that, after he'd finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing town right on the Sea of Galilee. It was also a kind of a trade center, one of the bigger towns. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, and he was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant. Well, so this short story is about two groups coming to Jesus. The first one, it's the centurion. And so the centurion was a Roman citizen sent probably from the area of Rome. He was not a Jewish person. He was not local. He was the outside oppressor. Rome was ruling over most of the known world at this time. And so centurions were typically... Uh, kind of the elite, they were, they were separate from most of the people, the common people. They were not of the same ethnicity, and they were of a much higher social standing. So this centurion was in charge. And he happened to be a man who had earned a lot of favor. Most of the centurions um, were in one of two groups. They either tried to rule by getting everyone to like them, making donations, treating people very well. Or they tried to rule with an iron fist. And this guy happened to be a guy who not only tried to rule by being generous, being kind. But it's obvious he had actually become part of the community. When it says he had built their synagogue, the synagogue was the religious center of a town. So much of what we see in the New Testament, um, once Jesus had ascended back to heaven and the church was spreading, the churches are starting in synagogues. That's how the missionaries went out. They'd go to the synagogue first, preach the gospel of Christ, and oftentimes, many of the Jewish people would be saved, and that would become the first church in that town. And the synagogues would have looked a lot like what we see very, this very morning. 
the congregation would have gathered together. Now, there would have been men on this side, women on this side. There would have been some, some key differences. The singing probably would have not been quite the same um, if they had singing at all. But it's centered around the preaching of God's Word. And the elders, the leaders of that town, would have brought forth God's Word. We see Jesus doing this earlier in the Gospel of Luke. Remember when He teaches in the synagogue of Nazareth? This is exactly what's going on. And so, here in Capernaum, a big town, you can actually go there. Most of this town is excavated today. You can see the synagogue. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous place. There's still mosaics on the floor of what this man had built. So apparently he was extremely wealthy and he had become part of this community. And not only that, it's obvious that he had adopted their faith. Faith in the one true God instead of the false gods of Rome. And so this man comes. He gets the elders to go to Jesus for him. Now, at first, we don't know exactly why that is. We find out at the end of the passage, he didn't consider himself worthy to even come before Jesus. But he sends the leaders, and the leaders come, and they start begging Jesus, trying to tell Jesus what a good guy this was, so he should have Jesus' favor. And there's all sorts of irony in this as we read it as the church. And you got to remember, this story was written down for the church. See, elders are not only the leaders of Israel, that's what the Bible talks about, elders of the leaving leaders of the church. We know mostly today as pastors. The elders were way off on their theology. They're the ones who are goofed up in their thinking. They think Jesus is pleased with someone because of their works and their donations. And ironically, this guy gets it. He's not worthy that's why he sent the elders. And also, in, in 1 Timothy 3.7, where it's talking about characteristics of elders, it says, Moreover, he, and this is the elder, must be thought of well by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. In other words, elders need to be looked on good by the community. They need to be a person of good reputation, a person who's respected in the community. And what's ironic is these elders who were supposed to be the respected people, were coming to Jesus on behalf of the person who's respected in the community, who's not even part of the worshiping body. And so this is all twisted upon its head. And these elders come, and Jesus, in grace, goes with them. And then they hear this amazing report from this man. Let me read it one more time. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who's built our synagogue. Elders, he's a good guy, he's a good guy, you'll like him, Jesus. But then listen to what he says. Jesus went with them when he was not far from the house. The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. This centurion, this military man, we've got several of our retired military folks here. A couple of our folks are still active National Guard. We're so grateful for you all. And I have not served in the military, but I do understand enough to know that there is a clear command structure. And if you buck the command structure, it's not going to go well for you. It's not that it doesn't ever happen and should never happen, but it's big if it does. Um, I had a good friend named Doug. He was an admiral in the Navy. 
And um, it was amazing when Doug could walk into a room, he could tell people what to do, and you did it. There was just something about this guy and the way he'd been trained up and the, under, the, the way he understood leadership. If he said something, you paid attention and you did it. He was a godly, godly man. He didn't take advantage of this. But this military man gets that when your authority says something and they are a legitimate, rightful authority, that's it. But what's even more amazing, he could get that. Many other centurions got that. Many military men understand that and women understand that today. But this centurion got what authority Jesus had. It wasn't simply outranking him. It was ultimate, complete authority over everything. It wasn't authority over this person or that person or this group or, or this command pyramid under him. It was authority to say anything to anyone or any sickness. And it was to be obeyed. It could not possibly be ignored. This centurion could trust Jesus because he understood Jesus' unconditional authority. If this centurion had come to Jesus and said these things and Jesus couldn't do it, the man's faith would have been absolutely crushed. But Jesus did have that authority. Jesus Christ was God the Son, the creator of everything. And so because this centurion understood Christ's unconditional authority over everything, time, space, sickness, and even death, the centurion could then have great faith. A lot of times, preachers will preach this passage or the quick Sunday school lesson to kids. Everybody needs to have great faith. And that's absolutely true. But the reason we need to have great faith is because of the great God whom we serve. It's not about this welling up inside of you. This strong, well, I really believe this prayer so it's going to work. It's none of that. What matters is the person in whom you have faith. And so yes, this centurion's faith was great. And yes, we need to have faith like that. But it's all because it's all based on the person of Jesus Christ in whom we have faith. We get to the point of trusting Christ. Knowing. He is good and He is overall. So we just don't have to worry. The centurion wasn't concerned about whether his servant would be healed. All Jesus had to do is say, be healed. And if He didn't say it, He wouldn't. Christ had that kind of authority. But this man also trusted the goodness and grace of Christ. And that's what we're going to get into here in just a minute. But he trusted the goodness and grace of Christ to come before him and ask. And he trusted him to do what he said he could do. So the first thing we need to see from this is we can have great faith in Jesus. Not because we are great and not because we can weld this faith up in us, but because Jesus has ultimate authority. 
But the second thing we're going to see from the second half of this passage and the second miracle is we can have faith in Jesus because He loves you. We can have faith in Christ because He loves you. All right, so I'm going to do something very unique, and and most of y'all know this about me. I am not a a spectator sports fan. I'm not a team sports fan. I didn't grow up in that. I, I mean, give me a chance to hike or what? I love it, but... I'm not a team sports fan, but I did have the privilege of um, getting to know a professional football player just a little bit. I was um, one of his kids' children's minister. Um, his name was Carl Mecklenburg. This is, this is back in the 90s, late 90s. But he played for Denver. He was a huge man. Um, and I got to know actually his kids first and then his wife. And I had actually assumed she was a single lady because I had no clue that this man was famous. Of course, he's on TV every week. Everybody else knew that, that watched that. But I'm just playing with this guy's kids and uh, loving them. We're teaching just just like we do here. And uh, I knew his wife. And then the off-season hit, and this monster of a man, he was an offensive lineman, and he was huge, shows up to pick his kids up one day and says, do you need any help? And I'm saying, yes, sir, you know, kind of thing. Um, he's a huge guy. And uh, ends up, what he, he heads up, we had to rearrange a room between Sunday school and church time for our, our children's worship. It was a large church, and this was a large room. We had to move all these dividers, set up all the chairs, and we had dollies that we moved these chairs in out. And it was a fast turnaround to get this ready for the next group of kids. And so he said, I can help with that. And uh, so the next week, he shows up right on time, ready to go, and he's, we start stacking these chairs, and he doesn't wait for the dolly. He just walks over and picks up this stack of chairs, carries it over, and, uh, oh, okay. Um, well, over the, the next few months, he did this every week, and he started getting to know some of the kids. The kids started getting to know him. Of course, he has two boys in there, and I mean, they just start romping and going at this monster of a man and so the next thing you know within a couple months I'm not seeing him pick up the chairs and move them I'm seeing him pick up the stack of chairs and there's like five kids sitting on it probably wasn't the safest thing in the world but you don't argue with him you know and these kids fell in love with Carl Mecklenburg godly man Um, as I got to know him more he has a great faith in Jesus or at least had Um, I don't know him now But sometimes we think that the big, huge strength is very distant, and we don't put that in the same category, the same person, as the gentle love and care. And I saw in this man that he not only was huge and strong and powerful, he just had this big old teddy bear heart. He just loved kiddos. He just enjoyed them. He was a great witness to them. Taught these kids about serving. He worked hard every single week that he was even in town. Sometimes we separate strength and love, and we don't put those two together. And what these passages do, and the, the way Luke has arranged this, we have this great passage about Jesus being this authority. You've got authority over anything. He's strong, he's big. And we have this. Very intimate, gentle, compassionate instant that happens. So read with me. Our second point is have faith in Jesus. 
because he loves you. Start with me in verse 11. We're going to read through 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain. And this was a little bitty, this, this was Pogo, all right? He's out in the country now. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So after this authority, this, this hard, fast, Jesus, just speak the word and it's done. Jesus is walking along. He's kind of in the nobody town and he meets some nobodies. He's just stirred up in compassion for this woman. Jesus loved the nobody who had nothing to offer. We don't even know her name. Widows were a vulnerable group because men were the landowners in this time. That doesn't mean it's right. That's just what it was at that time. And this woman had lost her only son, her only source of income, her only source of protection. She was now a beggar. Jesus sees all of this and in compassion walks up and starts stops the human hearse. They didn't bury in coffins back then. They were they wrapped in linen. They were carrying him probably on some kind of simple board. And he walks up to these pallbearers. Can you imagine their faces at this point? What in the world? I mean, it's awkward. I, I've only been a pallbearer once. It's weird and awkward. And these I'm sure it was the same back then. And this guy just walks and stops them. And walks up to the corpse. Talks to this widow. Stop crying. And he doesn't just say stop crying. He fixes it. He raises the dead man to life. And the first thing he does is connect the mom and the son. He doesn't talk about a theological truth of this. He doesn't you know, draw implications. It says here, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Jesus, God of the universe, cared about this little woman. We don't even know her name. Up. Isaiah 42, 1-4 says this. Behold my servant, speaking of Jesus, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Listen to this. So justice for the nations, and then he puts it with this. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. That, that candle that's just about to go out. He'll make it burn again. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he's established justice on the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the Jesus whom we serve. 
Jesus who loves. And a Jesus who cares. And, and it's great, and we, we know the song, probably every one of us could sing every word, to Jesus loves me, this I know. But what I want to do this morning is just stop. And I want every one of us to hear this word. Jesus loves you. And I, he loves you. Whatever that soul harboring sin you know is there that maybe not a soul on this planet even knows is there. That pain that you are bearing, Jesus loves you in it. He cares. And He has authority. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. I want us to do something just quickly. Turn in your Scriptures to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1. I just want you to hear what God says to the Christian. Uh, just hear this, this written out. So here's the story. This is Jesus living this out. I want you to hear in prose, what does this mean for you? Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's why. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as He chose us. Can you imagine that? And I know who I am. I have nothing to make me worthy before God. Yet God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoptions as sons. By implication, daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished. He poured them out. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth that's what god thinks about his kids not kids because they earned it but kids because he made them his children he has bought us he has chosen us he has set everything up in the universe to work this out for us god loves you. Trust Him because He loves you. So what do we do? Really quickly, some implications. So I joked with Chad and Debbie, you know I'm preaching this week because the application, have faith in Christ and repent. You know Joe's preaching, by the way, if your bulletin says Jesus blank, Jesus blank, Jesus blank. You know I'm preaching if the application, trust Christ, have faith in Him. Repent, turn from your sins. If you've never done that before, if you've never trusted Christ, you came in here and you're wanting to find out about this, let me encourage you. You can trust Christ because of His authority, because of His love for you. He has died for your sins, risen again. He is worthy of your trust. Trust Him. If you need help with that, if you need to understand more, if you want to talk with that, please, please, let myself know. Let Chad know. Um, you saw Melanie up here. You saw our ladies leading worship. We'd love to chat with you. 
Don't miss this opportunity. But if you've already done that, you did that when you were a child, still the application is trust Jesus today. He loves you and He can take care of it. Repent of your sins. Turn from your false belief. Trust Christ. But let's get even more specific. I want us to learn to enjoy Jesus' love. The way we're going to understand this and this get into our daily lives is by getting into God's Word and seeing this, not just once on Sunday, but every single day. So something you're going to be hearing from me um, as, as kind of leading our discipleship program, not kind of, leading our discipleship in the church, you're going to be seeing, seeing and hearing from me over and over and over. You need to be in your Scriptures and praying every single day. If I have one goal for the fall, it's that every single one of us as church members are in God's Word. It might be one verse. Start there. Or in God's Word every single day. And praying personally. Just quietly on your own every single day. And that's a simple thing. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, yeah. we've done that forever. No. Take this. This is where we learn to know the love of Christ. This is where we learn to, uh, as, as John Piper said, see and savor the goodness of Christ. Get in your scriptures every day. Um, and I want to do a shameless plug here. Wednesday nights when train kits up um, in the fall, starting on September's on Wednesdays, we're going to um, focus on this. For two weeks, we're going to have classes on simply how to have a personal devotion time. Nothing fancy. It's going to be really practical. It's going to be short. Um, this will be the shortest lessons we've had. I mean, we're just going to, how do you read the Bible and pray? For two weeks, that's all we're going to talk about. Um, then after that, and this really is, it, it actually fits well, and you'll see um, we're going to be talking about dealing with fearing people over God, um, dealing with fearing people when it comes to how we view ourselves, how we think, how we function in our jobs, how we function in our families, and how we witness. Um, and then finally, we'll wrap up with witnessing to Muslims. Um, we're going to spend about three weeks on that. Joe and I will be leading particularly that part, um, some of the things that we've learned traveling over to Central Asia and, uh, and then here locally. So, read the Bible personally every single day. Start. Start in the book of Luke. Just read a little bit every day. Pray. Talk to God about it. If you have no clue what He said, ask Him to show you. And just keep in there. Keep in there. So, pray every day. Repent and have faith. The third thing is think richly in your understanding about who God is. Um, there are two words I want to introduce to you, big words, they're good theological words, but they're important words. The first one is transcendent. It means that we believe that God is bigger and separate from everything about us. He's not just another guy who's a little better. He is most holy God. There is no one or nothing like God in the entire universe. He created everything. He is above everything. This is where we come from our, our, our um, first point. Jesus has ultimate authority. There is nothing to compare to God. He is separate. And, and one of the theology terms is holy other. In other words, completely separate from us. But the second theology term is eminence. And you can't have one without the other and truly understand God. In other words, God is here. God is present. God's not just out there, the being who created the universe and then kind of stepped away and said, all right, I did good, y'all play. He's not a watchmaker who, who creates the watch and then sells it and it's gone forever. He is the creator of the universe, yes. 
but He's also the Savior of the universe. He is the God who loves us. He loves you. He is close. That's what the whole meaning of Christmas is all about. It's God with us. So transcendence and eminence. I want to encourage you to think in those ways and look for that when you're looking in the Scriptures to understand God more completely. Fourth, I want us to come together as a church to love those who are outside. Love those who are hurting. To love the widow. You can't read this story and not get that Jesus cares about people who are hurting and struggling. The church family The application for us together is we need to love people who nobody else loves. Maybe they don't fit. They are just the socially awkward. They they don't fit. And particularly I'm talking to students here as you go back to school. Love them well. Adults, that person who's struggling in their job, and maybe it's their own fault. We need to love them well. That person who doesn't have anything. We need to love them well and care for them. Share Jesus with them and help them and walk with them to a place of health again. We need to come together as a community and love the lonely, the alone, and the vulnerable. But we don't just love them and say everything's okay. We love them and say Jesus is here for you. Jesus loves you. He has authority. I want to conclude with a quote. Um, A great theologian, aging theologian. When he looked back on his life and teaching theology and and he he whipped this out in a uh, uh, seminary session as he was teaching. His name's D.A. Carson and then he, he actually developed it into a sermon. But this is the introduction to his sermon and I want you to listen very carefully to this because we don't serve a God who is only authority and we don't serve a God who is only love we serve a God who has ultimate authority and loves us both D.A. Carson said it like this so which should we choose experience or truth God's love his authority should we choose the left wing of the airplane or the right wing of the airplane do we have love or integrity we have study do we have service evangelism or discipleship It's like picking the front wheels of the car or the rear wheels of the car. Subjective knowledge, objective knowledge, faith or obedience. Let me say today, God's love or God's authority. He speaks extremely strongly. I wouldn't quote this man unless (laughs) he was who he was. He's earned it after almost 60 years of teaching theology. He says this about these dichotomies or antitheses. He says, damn all these false antitheses to hell for they generate false gods. They perpetuate idols. They twist and they distort our souls. They launch the church into violent pendulum swings whose oscillations succeed only in dividing brothers and sisters in Christ. So I say to you today, You can have faith in Christ because of His ultimate authority. But pair it with the rest of Scripture and have faith in Christ because He loves you. And never separate those two.
He cares, but he has power to do something about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness. Help us to know and experience and enjoy and listen to your word and believe your ultimate authority and your love for us. May we respond. Lord, I pray for anyone who's struggling with the claims of Christ or is just hurting. Maybe they are like this widow and they are struggling in great difficulty of the soul. Pray that you would encourage them. And I pray for our faith, Lord. Help us to trust you, Jesus. The one who loves and died for us and rose again to reign forevermore. In Jesus' name.